Hello and welcome to Inspired Mind Podcast. As you connect with our content, we hope that you'll be inspired to grow and develop a better you. Please be encouraged to share this with others. Happy growing. Amen. Come on, say better amen. 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 Now let me give you a little bit of idea about what I call the Jesus big idea. See, the reason why Jesus is passionate, um, the reason why Jesus went on the cross for you, the reason why Jesus left his majestic heaven. I don't even think that if I have the privilege of being in heaven like Jesus and, and, and God says, do you want to go to the earth and die for people? I'm sure I'm going to say, no, God, thanks. No, but no thanks. Uh, I'm not going to go down to, because this place is just comfortable. I wonder how heaven looks. Um, but Jesus left every comfort, every joy, every ceremony. This is Jesus probably wakes up every day and all the angels are just flipping their wings and just shouting hallelujah, glory to his name. This is the Jesus that probably moves around in heaven and everybody is trembling and bowing. And, you know, and now he's going to go to the world where human that he created, he co-created. Because the Bible said at the beginning, let us make man. So Jesus was part of the team that made you. So he's not going to meet the people he created and he will submit himself to be flogged by them. What a sad thing to do. I can't even imagine it. I can't even imagine it. You know, we had this funny video clip um, that I, I got through my dad and I forwarded it to my family WhatsApp. And there was, in, I think in the, it's in the Middle East, maybe in Saudi Arabia, they created this big robot and mighty big robot. And I was just scared that, can you just imagine if this thing goes evil and decide to kill the people that created them? And I love a very nice comment that my son made. My son said, um, a mouse would be wiser not to create a mouse trap. I don't know if I, I, I probably didn't say it as well as he did. And I thought that was brilliant. You know, just imagine God, um, Jesus, dying and saving people that some of them will still end up rejecting him some of them will even kill people that follow him. What other God can you get? So I, I run you through God's, Jesus' big idea. Number one, the big idea of Jesus is for you to become a bridge to the unsaved. Jesus is doing to you what he wants to do through you. So Jesus wants you to be a bridge. He wants to reach more people through you. Another big idea is that Jesus wants you to reflect his attributes. Attributes. How many of, if I ask you today, what is the Ultimate attribute. Um, some of you need to listen to my, my podcast, Gospel in Five Minutes. I have a five minutes clip on ultimate attribute of God. You know, if I ask you what's the attribute of God, one of the first things that you always say is love. God is love. Of course, God is love. Love defines God. But do you know the ultimate attribute of God that sometimes we forget? God is holy. So, you know, unbelievers feel comfortable when we say God is love. And no matter what I do, God does not condemn me. God is not going to kill me even when I sin. He still loves me. You know, we get bubbling all over the place with that mentality that this is God's attribute that makes it, you know, it's so cool. God loves me. It doesn't matter if I do this, if I do that. Even if I don't go to church, he still loves me. Nobody talks about the attribute of God that is holy. God wants his only attribute to reflect through your life. That you reflect his excellency and that you partner in his earthly project. That's the most important thing that I want us to talk about today. God saved you. Jesus saved you so that you will be part of his project on earth. Jesus has got his God job to do. Jesus has a vision. 
He wants you to be part of that vision. He wants you to be part of the church. He wants you to be part of his project on earth. So the, 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 it's not by accident that we termed the, the series as saved on purpose. Every one of you here, you want to live here today knowing that you were saved on purpose. But for, but for what purpose was I saved? That's the big question here. I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians 2 verse 10. Quickly. Somebody should go with me to that scripture. Ephesians 2 verse 10. The word of the Lord that for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So God was strategic. He had an agenda. He said, you know what, if I can bring them to a saving grace, if I can blend and, and, and amend their relationship with the Father and get them committed in the project of getting more people into the kingdom, that would be the best thing to do. So you are on purpose. You know, one of the things that I like to do, apart from being an entrepreneur and, you know, working or serving some organization, I also love um, the stock market. I love to, you know, just... You know, use some little change that I could be spending in McDonald's and, and Chick-fil-A. Sometimes I like to use to buy some stocks. Um, and I watch them every day, watch the way they grow. And I realize that there are some that are very profitable. So, but sometimes costly. And sometimes I, I like to eliminate the ones that are not yielding high returns. And I want to focus my finances on those that are yielding high returns. You know, Jesus died for everybody, but it's everyone yielding the maximum return for him. Ask yourself that question. Are you yielding the maximum return for Jesus? That's why the topic today is high yield steward. Are you the high yield steward? Are you the one that is yielding much for the Father? If, you, if, if, if Jesus is to treat you like me, like I treat my share, um, stocks, if Jesus is to treat you like that, would, will you be among the ones that Jesus will focus on? Because of their yield, or will you be among the ones? Jesus will just keep to just be there. Ask yourself that question. You know, there are two things, there are two reasons why Jesus saved you, why he invested his life on you. One is to fix your relationship with the Father. Because without Jesus, we have no relationship with the Father. You know, like I said, God is holy. It won't even be held iniquity. God can't even stand the sinner. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see the girl that, that was at the wrong place yesterday or the guy that just lied this morning on his way to church. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And that's why he's comfortable to call you his own. So number one thing that God, um, Jesus came to do was to fix your relationship with the Father. The number two thing is to enlist you in his project is to enlist you in the kingdom. That is why there's nothing you hold yourself in your life. As a matter of fact, the greatest response of, with your life toward salvation is service. In the kingdom builder, we say you are saved to serve. Emmanuel dealt with this so much last week. I'm not going to go too far. I'd like us to turn to the book of Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. I'm going to read that. Um, this is um, a, a parable or a story of the three servants um, that Jesus gave some, some talents, some gifts to, um, expecting a return in their life. I'm going to read it quick. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
He called together his servant and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, all right, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their ability. I want you to come and say abilities. All right, so we're going somewhere. He then left on his trip. Then the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money. Say hi, ye steward. All right, began to invest the money. They, 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 he went to work. Now, Jesus had saved and deposited gifts in the life of three people. And one of them said, Who? Jesus can entrust me with this gift, with life, with, with abilities. I got to do something with it. He went and they started working. The one with two also did likewise. All right. And going forward, he said, After a long time, their, masters, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Good kid. Good guy. You know, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. May you be found faithful in Jesus' name. Say a big amen. amen. You have been faithful in handling this small amount that I gave you. I was just testing you. That's what Jesus is probably saying there. So now we give you more. Many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now the master didn't say, oh no, you didn't do well. I gave one five and he made five. Why did you make two? Why did you not make one? No, 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 no. That's not the focus in the story. He praised him just like he praised the other one. I'm going somewhere. All right. The master, I knew you were, uh, and, the, and the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, a vessel crop you didn't plant, and garden crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid, come on, say the timid Christians. Say it. Come on, say timid Christians. All right, that's number, the, 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 third, the third servant now is one of those. That's why I hid it in the head. In other words, I decided that all that matters was as long as I'm saved, let me just be going quietly with you. Um, there's not, no need for me to try to do anything extraordinary. I just want to go to heaven. Here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest. You know, when I, the first time I read that thing, I said, oh, the, it's like Jesus is saying that the least place your money should be is in the bank. Maybe it's not so profitable. He said, at least, you know, just put it in the bank. So good luck to all the savings account holders. Don't, because of me, stop saving. Oh. Amen. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Come on, say, what you don't use, you lose. Let me hear you say it loud. All right. He said, and they will have an abundance, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away from them. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, unproductive servant. May we not be found in that light in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. 
if you notice how they bubbled and they came to the Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to bring out some points from that scripture quickly as we quickly take the teaching towards the end. Number one is that we are commissioned for the master's agenda and schedules. You know, we are, we are his investment. We are, we are saved for a purpose. From that story, you, you, the master is traveling and he entrusted them. He, he committed them to his agenda. Your biggest agenda on earth, I don't care where you work, I don't care what you do, everything that you do in your life is to bring glory back to the master. And the number two in that scriptures, our gifts and talents are borrowed. Remember that the father is going to have, you see, your life, your gift, your knowledge, everything you have is borrowed. Because everything belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He bought you with a price. You see, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body, with your life, with your everything. The number three thing we must learn from that scripture is the fact that master, the master is a wise investor. In other words, the master invests with understanding. Now, the master does not belittle his own creation. He doesn't, the master does not feel that the one given with the one talent is worthless. No. If you notice, what was important to the master was to reward effort. The most important thing to God is to reward your effort. Remember, he rewarded the one with the five talents equally like he rewarded the one with the two talents. So it wasn't about who is better. Jesus was not after the competition. Jesus deploys you so that you will use your effort within your ability. Remember, the scripture said he gave them according to their ability. How many of you know some followers of Jesus that don't have as much abilities as you do? This is not the time to look at your neighbors. But some are sitting right by you. Some that have better abilities than you are sitting right by you. But Jesus is not inviting you into the competition of who is more valuable in church. The master is looking for somebody who will identify the ability. You see, the guy with the two did not say, why in the world would Jesus give five to another person and give me just two? I'm hungry. I'm not even going to do anything with the two. He said, well, well this is what, this, 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 Jesus knows that our, our ability is the level of risk we can take, the level of tolerance, the level of passion that we have. Some of us are so scared to talk about Jesus outside because we are thinking we will lose some friends. Some people don't care. Some people will evangelize, will win souls for Jesus at any cost. Jesus knows your ability, but it is okay. All he is looking for is for you to deploy your ability for the benefit of the kingdom. Use your effort in the right way. You don't have to be like D.Y. in media. Neither do you have to be like Shino in ushering. But every time you come to church, you know that there is a little you can do and you do it well and faithfully. You don't have to be the best in worship. But you know that if you hold the mic, you will do the best that God has given you. You are trading to the level of your ability. Jesus is honored by it. Because he understands. He gave you the abilities in the first place. Somebody say amen to that. Hallelujah. Another thing we must learn from that scripture is that he appreciates our winning attitude. Remember the winning attitude. 
You see, the, 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 everything you do and everything you accomplish for God is a function of your attitude to him. You see, the ones with the five talents and the ones with the, with the two, they were very passionate. The, the Bible said when, Jesus, when the master came, they were enthusiastic. They, they could hardly wait to bring a report to him. Oh, yeah, Father, you gave me five. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You're not going to believe it. Jesus had said, what? What? I made that extra five. Oh, attitude. I, I am ready to win. That's the attitude that they have. How many of you have that attitude in kingdom as a Christian, as a believer, to become a high yield steward? That you wake up every day and you tell yourself that before I go back to bed today, Jesus must be glorified in my life. I'm going to be a blessing to somebody. I'm going to serve someone. How many of us? Jesus rewards good attitude. He was excited. He said, you are a good and faithful servant. And he rebuked self-destructive and self-limiting attitude. You know what self-destructive and self-limiting attitudes are? Attitudes of complaints and excuse. Like I said, the guy with the one talent could have just said, no, I'm done. Or with the guy with the two talents, I mean, would have just said, you know what I'm doing? How could you give somebody else? We're, we're all created. Yeah, guys. Can I bust your bubble? Can I just let you know this today? If this is the first time you are hearing it. You were created equally through God. But you are not created in equal functioning. Everybody is not the same. Everybody might not teach like I do. Everybody might not do... Certain things, I, I mean, I can't even pick up the microphone and sing like favor. But I'm not going to be angry at Jesus for not giving me favor's voice. I will do the one he has given me while favor is focusing on our own. That's how to be. Come, a high yield steward. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord. You see, they thought, they thought, the third um, servant had a very wrong view of God. You see, the view of God that you have will affect the choice that you will make for him. When I was growing up and I was getting, stepping into the Christian faith, I know a lot of believers that had the wrong view of God. You know, the only way they see God, just like that servant, the only way some believers see God is they see him as a judge, as the one who is, who is waiting for the next second to condemn you if you do anything. They see him as a God who, I mean, I, I, I literally, for a, for a while, before I, when I was coming into faith, I know a lot of believers that will actually tell me that making money is evil. They had the wrong view of God. God doesn't want you to make money. God just wants you to be born again and go to heaven. And when you begin to have that kind of view, that kind of paradigm about God, your decisions and the choices you make will be affected. So the third servant had a wrong view. He sees him like a hard master. Somebody who does not want you to relate with the unbelievers. No, don't go near unbelievers. They will make you miss heaven. How are you going to evangelize to them if you don't go close to them? You know, so he had a wrong view of God and that's why he achieves less for God. What view of God do you have? You know, if you have a view of God as a loving father, you will tend to flow with his love. If you have a view of God as a, as a God who is holy, you will stay away from iniquity. The view of God that you have will affect how you walk with God. 
So the only thing that made that third servant to fail in that story is a wrong view of God. Some of you have been born again for almost 10 years. You do not even have the right view of God, that God has an agenda, that God has a project that is looking for that believer that will jump up. I get excited when I see young kids, like those kids that, that mounted the, the, the cameras. Some of their mates are at home playing games. <laughs> but they are in church, in the kingdom work, holding cameras and making things work for God. That is the attitude of a winner. Come on, say praise the Lord. What has God entrusted in your life? I want to show you something um, lastly. You see, your faith does not guarantee success. Your faith is a leverage for you to achieve success. A lot of believers make mistakes here. They just think, once you are born again, you are successful. Hey, how many of you know very poor believers? They love Jesus. How many of you? How many of you know believers that can't even pay their bills? Oh, yeah. It's not a guarantee. You are the one that will affect how you turn out from the leverage of... Let me show you an example of a lever on the screen. Let me show you an example of a lever. This, your faith is like this. You see what that man is holding? It's a lever. The only way that man can lift that obstacle, your faith gives you a leverage to be able to lift obstacles in life. Now, every, the, the same ring will fall on everybody. But you will be able to receive it differently because you have faith. The same COVID-19 will affect everybody. Have you heard on the news that this COVID-19 is affecting everybody except the Christians? How many of you have heard that news? No, it doesn't exist. It's affecting everybody. But as a believer, you have leverage. You have something in you, the faith, the love, the passion, the conviction of God to enable you to lift every obstacles in your life. Leverage. Like the forklift. You see, when you mount on that forklift, there is no amount of weight that you cannot lift. When you stand on that forklift, by the way, I used that my first eight months in the U.S. I was riding that. With that, with that forklift, you can lift everything. I don't need to stretch my hand. Sometimes when I use that forklift to arrange some stock, and I look at it, I say, my God, if I used my hand to carry this, I would have been dead. That's how your faith is. You need to treat faith like a leverage. The day I became born again, I told myself that there are so many things that unbelievers will not do that I would do. Because the Bible said I can do all things. To Christ who strengthens me. Through my leverage, I can do all things. So stop deceiving yourself and thinking that because you're a Christian, that's, that's, that's an express to success. Faith is a leverage to success, not a limiting factor. But the third servant had a wrong perspective and he killed him. What are the things that the Lord has entrusted in your life? You are sitting down here wondering, okay, the Lord gave something to three people, um, but what has he given to me? Yes, he has given you life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Lord has given you life. He has given you resources, time, treasure, talent. Some of you have some talent that you have not even discovered. Guess why? Because you think that church is just about internet and TV. 
I tell people you can get sermon from home, but you can't grow your faith from home. I know we are at the point in our life where we need to make a decision. So when you say, when, when, the, gov- when the government says it's dangerous, people are dying, and you keep looking at the statistics, and the only time you respond to that statistic is when it comes to the one hour, 30 minutes that you spend in church. But you go eight hours every day, Monday to Friday, to work. You go to Walmart, you go to Kroger, you go to Happy Market. But only on Sunday, one at 30 minutes, that's the time that if you don't stay at home, COVID will catch you. Come on, where's your heart? I tell you what, I work in corporates, I go to offices, most offices or almost every office have not done as much as the church has done when it comes to, to your safety. Not only are you covered by the blood, not only is the church continuously praying for its members, not only do we have all the chairs separated so far apart, some of you can't even high-five your neighbors, not only do we mandate that you put on your mask, not only are you sanitized at the entrance, not only is your temperature checked. Come on. The right attitude. It has given you protection. My question to you is in what ways are you a high yield return on investment? In what ways? Are you a high yield return on investment? Ask yourself that question as we get close to the end of this message. As we go, I just want us to ponder on certain things very quick. Just take down your notes if you're writing. Number one, we are caught to accountability. You see, the, 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 the accountability that Jesus expects of us is that he has done so much for us, we must do his projects. And when you are accountable, it's not, it doesn't end in church. I always tell people, uh, uh, I'm, if, if, you listen, if you listen to Gospel in five minutes, there is a, there is a particular episode that I have that is called um, Workplace Minister. You are a workplace minister. A lot of you will even, let me tell you, there's so much you can do on Sunday. The play of your ministration is your workplace and your neighborhood. Sunday, within one hour, 30 minutes, we equip you and charge you to go out and be effective for Jesus. So we are called for accountability. Someday we are going to give account. Irrespective of our gift, another thing you should remember, I want you to take this away very seriously of everything else that you have heard today. Irrespective of your gift, the most important thing that God is looking for is your faithfulness. Be faithful. Be faithful. God is not trying to compare your abilities with that of brother B. No. The master conveniently gave one five talents, gave another one two talents, gave one one. No hard feelings. But all he was expecting was not for the one to eat two or to eat five. It was for the one to do his best with the one. And guess what? If I was that one, I would have blown the master's mind, I'm sure. I'd probably do five and say, master, da-da. You gave me one, you think I'm not so good. Now see, the master will say, oh my, I'm so sorry. I underrated you. But some of us are even living in a life and God is beginning to wonder whether he overrated us. We're functioning below capacity. 
Stop making Christianity a joke. It's easy and convenient for everybody to make this a joke. I just love Jesus. I'm just Jesus. And when you say, come and do something for Jesus, you begin to see the crowd reduce. There was an accountability. Irrespective of your gift, the most important thing is faithfulness. God is just looking for an effort. Success or wealth is a product of your work. I said that I cannot say it enough. Faith alone is not enough. It's how you leverage it. You must avoid excuses in your life. How many of you have a bucket list of excuses why you are not doing good? I do. You know, there was a time in my life, if you come to me and ask me why are things not right, I will just bring out my list and begin to tell you. The government is the Republican. The, my neighbors are wicked. My aunt is disturbing me in the village. Um, and they don't appreciate me enough in church. I will begin to down, download. Jesus is telling you to tear that list. Because the only problem is you. And oftentimes we, as the problem of our life, we do not appear on our list of reasons why we're not doing well for the Lord. Remember the regainer. I want you to remember the regainer in that, in that message. When I, re when I read that story over and over and over and over and over and over again, I kept on telling myself that, okay, what was the master's gain in this whole thing? Okay, he gave somebody five talent or five gifts or five money as different scriptures put it. And the person made extra five and he said, keep it. The one that made, two, made extra two, he said, keep it. Why is it, okay, so what's the, what's, the, what's the master's gain here? All the master was looking for was obedience and effort to be part of the project. I mean, he could have said, okay, you that made five profit, bring the five. Okay, good job. Thank you for making me some profit. No, when you do good, when you serve the Lord, he enhances your life. You are the real gainer. You are the real winner in your service to God. When people begin to look at your life and begin to wonder, why is everything about her different? Why can't Emmanuel, the man who came from Nigeria, just have so much scholarship and just get that kind of privilege and grace that God gave him? Hello? Not only is he faithful in his service, he's diligent in his work. That combination can never go wrong, my friends. Wake up. I just want us to wake up here. At Ignite, we say we want you to connect, to grow, and be inspired. Oh, Lord, how I wish you can just be inspired to serve the Lord. Tear off your bucket list of excuses. I don't have time. I'm in school. I'm this. I'm happy when um, Emmanuel was ministering last week. He said he used to think he was busy until he had to talk to me. When somebody called me and said, Pastor, you know, this is my exam season. I'm so busy. And, and that's why I cannot lead prayer. <laughs> or that's why I cannot stand for one or 30 minutes and usher people. I, I just marvel in my heart and I say, Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not you in handling these people. 
I want you to echo this back to me. Come on. What you don't use. I didn't hear you. What you don't use, you lose. Remember the one with the one talent because he, he failed to use. He lost it. Some of you are sitting down here, you are probably better at preaching the message than myself. But you refuse to use it. Some of you are at home right there. Keeping safe. Why the Lord needs you to put smile on people's face and give them hope that COVID is not going to stop the church. It didn't stop it in 1918. It won't stop it in 2020. Let's rise on our feet. Father, we love you. You know, God, you know, Christ blesses us for being faithful to advance his kingdom work. He blesses us to serve him faithfully. I'm looking for people that will commit their life like I did over 20 years ago. I told God, and I meant every word, that as long as I have bread, Jesus will never look for a worker. I said to myself, and I committed myself that, Lord, anywhere your project is, you said the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. No, I'm going to be among the few you can be sure to have. So when I came into this church over 10 years ago, I didn't look for somebody to hype me, to pump me, to motivate me, to charge me. Now, I was resolved in my heart that I will serve the Lord. So it's your heart decision. When I see people that need to be charged, to be motivated, to be... No. It's a hard decision. And a lot of times, we don't serve because we don't know the reason why we should serve. You are saved on purpose. Come on, let me hear you say, I'm saved on purpose. I am saved on purpose. I can't hear you guys. Yes. Like the book of Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. If you can look at yourself. Masterpiece. You know what masterpiece means? That Jesus was very detailed in creating me. He made me perfect. He has created us anew. Talking about our recreation in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How many of you know that you need Jesus to serve Jesus? If you are not born again, I was probably not talking to you. Remember the three servants, they belong to the master. Maybe you are not yet Jesus, so, so it's okay why you are not functioning for him. You are an outsider. But this is an opportunity to heed the call and let the spirit of the Lord come into your heart. If you are that person, I'm going to say the first prayer and just say it with me. Father Lord, I thank you because there are two main reasons why you have come and you have died for me. So connect me to the Father and fix the relationship that I 
that I lost even before I was born. And the second reason is for me to be enlisted in your project. Father, Lord, I'm yielding to your leadership and surrendering my heart to you. I want you, Jesus, to come into my heart and take charge. Use me as you deem fit that the overall and the totality of my life will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Hallelujah. Now, so we, to, to, today we're going to be doing the final part of our ongoing series. We started something about three Sundays ago. Uh, we called it Saved on Purpose. How many of us know that we are saved on purpose? Um, you see, for me, one of the things that I took very seriously in my early days as I gave my life to the Lord is I was so, you know, just like a little child, I was so determined. I was, you know, kind of curious. I just wanted to know what is in this for me. Why do I have to be a Christian? And that's one of the questions that this series answers. This series is, is more like bringing understanding to Christianity. Why are you a Christian? Why, why do you follow Jesus? Why, what, what's, what's all this about? And that's one of the things that this administration uh, accounts for. So um, we started with um, the first part one, which was um, Jesus' employee um, telling us about the fact that we are saved on purpose to come on board um, with the kingdom business. And another thing that um, we learned from last week's teaching was the fact that we are called to yield high fruit. In other words, we are called to be productive. Um, there's a lot of investment that has gone down for you to be called a Christian. Jesus invested so much for you to be who you are. And, and every time you think about it, I, I illustrated last week with an example of how much I pay attention to some kind of stock that is profitable, and that's what I like to invest my money on. So when Jesus invested not money, not gold, not diamond, Jesus invested his life just for you, to show how precious you are. Now, the least you can do is to come back giving glory to Jesus with your life, yielding profit. And so that's one of the things we did last week, and I'm very excited that this week we're rounding it up. If this, if you've not, if you were not here last week and you were not here the other week, just go on our app, Mount Zion Ignite. Um, you can get that from Apple Store or... Google Store, wherever you get your app or whatever, what, I mean, it depends on the kind of phone that you use. You can actually download our apps and catch up with most of those uh, messages. And so this week, we're going to be taking the part three, and we're going to jump right in. And the title of this week's um, teaching, which is the final part of our series on Saved on Purpose, um, the title will be Called to Growth, Called to Growth, um, the religious terms for that, that sometimes I try to save um, just because I'm sensitive about who is in the atmosphere, I try to save some, you know, religious popular words that we use. But at the end of the day, we're coming back to the fact that this is the ultimate and the big idea of God for our life. We are called to growth. We are called to become disciples. We are, come to, we are called to be discipled. Um, one of the things that I remember and over and over again, you can read that from the scripture, is the fact that Jesus often referred the church as a business. Um, I know that if you are a very conservative uh, believer, that might sound a little bit secular. Why would, 
you call church a business. But I didn't call it. Jesus called it. Um, if you look at Luke um, chapter 2, verse 49, um, you will see a typical example of what Jesus said. Look at that on the screen. It says, but why did you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Um, some, some versions will tell you in my father's business. Um, most of the versions will say in my father's business. So the business of God is a kingdom business. And if you look at businesses, every business comes out with a product. Um, I'm a business owner myself. I offer services to organizations and individuals in the areas of branding. So I have a product. Um, and every organization has product. So the kingdom, as a business, also has a product. Um, if you look at, let me, let me give you an example of a business and their product. Let's talk about Toyota. Um, if you look at Toyota, let's, let's look at Toyota. What do they do? What are their products? They make automobiles. They make vehicles. They make cars. Um, let's, 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 let, me, let me give you a little picture of a Toyota product. Uh, take, me back to, take me back to the end point. Now, this is how Toyota used to be. Let's, let's even start from here. A lot of their products used to look like this. But they had a product. And, and after a while, uh, I'm going to show you exactly where a lot of these products are. Um, let's look at another organization. Let's say Apple, Apple, Apple um, Computers. Um, these are some of the Apple products initially. You see a lot of them on top, like the Macintosh series. See how they came and see where they are at the bottom part. But what am I trying to say here? Um, a lot of organizations, when they come out with products, one of the biggest responsibility for them is to continue to innovate and perfect that product um, to a level when at every season in time there is something to enhance in that product. Now you are a product of the kingdom. Disciple is the greatest product of the church. That's the product of the church. If they ask you what's the product of the church, what's the purpose of the church, the church is to make disciples. That was what Jesus spent three, and, three, three years plus of his ministry developing and building disciples. Now, wherever you are, when you were saved, is the least intention of Christ for you to be. In other words, Jesus, just like those products, just like how the first Macintosh product came and Apple began to innovate and make them better, Jesus wants to make you better, wants to make you a better person every day of your life. So wherever you are, you see, just being saved alone is not the end point for a Christian. You are not called to just be saved. You are called to be saved and you are called to grow. So every day Jesus is looking for how to innovate and how to rebuild and how to repackage and how to develop you. But you have to have that understanding that you are not called to be in the same place. You see, in my, Jesus, Jesus will welcome you the way you are. But he's not expecting you to stay that way. You see, he loves you just the way you are. Because the Bible said, while we are yet sinners, he loved us. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And that's why it's a responsibility that we must all shoulder. I, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was very conscious. As a matter of fact, I had so many friends that didn't believe in me. A lot of my friends thought, what you born again will see. 
So I was so determined to, to, to make a difference in my life. I was so determined for my, um, for my friends to see a new and a different kind of human being. So I was hungry for growth. And I'm still hungry. How many of us are hungry for growth? How many of us just want to be better? How many of us don't want to be like that Toyota of 1918 or 1980? And you want to be like the one of the 2020? As a Christian, what? you want to be better every day. People that saw you last year, you want them to see you this year as a better person. That's where the process of discipling comes into play. Amen. Who is a disciple? Let me, let me just quickly run you to that. Now, one of the best de definition or um, illustration of a true disciple was um, what I learned from WDA, which I'm part of. Um, and Bob Duke, which is, who is the founder of WDA. WDA, by the way, is World Discipleship Organization. And, and one of the things he said, he said, he said, disciples are those who think, anybody that thinks, feels, and acts like Jesus. So I don't, if you, I don't know if you are taking down notes. I just want you to put that down in your notes and, and personalize it. A disciple is somebody who thinks, feels, and acts like Jesus. Am I talking to you? Do you think, do you feel, do you act like Jesus? That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple is. Now, can you imagine if every one of us commits our lives? I'm just putting this down to every one of us now. It's personal responsibility for growth. And we begin to tell ourselves that um, we all we just want to grow. We just want to be better Christians. We want the Lord to be able to do much in our life. Praise the Lord. You know, they are, they are one of the things that I usually like to tell people is coming to church is not equal to being a, a developed or a matured Christian. You know, you can be coming to church for the next 10 years and still be the same. Some people come to church, but they do not grow in church. And you see, the devil does not mind you coming to church. As a matter of fact, the devil comes to church. How many of us know the devil comes to church? You better watch your card sometimes when you are coming to church to be sure he's not sitting in the back seat. Actually, the devil goes to church. So the devil, the devil is not threatened by you going to church. The devil is threatened by you growing in church. So the devil does not want, he doesn't want you to grow at all. As a matter of fact, if you can be so religious that you keep, to, you keep to your church appointment every Sunday, oh, I have to be in church, there's no better place to be, that doesn't threaten the devil. If you have to set the alarm clock, he's ready to wake you up, go to church. Because he knows that when you finish from church, Monday to Friday, your life is the same anyway. But nothing scares the devil like a growing Christian. And that's who we are called to be. Come on, say a big hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You see, one thing, about, um, one thing about our relationship with Christ is likened to every other intimate relationship that you have around your life. You see, as you go, as you, as you build intimate relationship with someone, um, research has proved that as a matter of time or in about time, you begin to hurt and think and behave just like that person. How many of you know somebody who behaves like someone? You know? And, 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 and it's already confirmed that 
you know, when you have a close intimacy with someone, eventually you will, you're most likely to become like them. I don't know if that scared my wife that she's going to become like me. I don't know. But the fact that we are together, the fact that we do life together. And so when you begin to move with Jesus, when Jesus, when you become very intimate with Jesus, when you begin to think and act and feel like Jesus, as a matter of time, when people need to know who Jesus is, when people need to behold Christ, when people need a reflection of Jesus, they begin to look at your life. That's who we are. We are called to grow. So I just want to challenge every one of us today. Don't leave church today without committing in your heart that I just want to be a better Christian. Now let me show you something about um, the disciple. Um, I'll put an image up about the disciples, which is the product of the church. And I want to explain something with that image before we read the scripture. Um, let's look at that image of um, a disciple. And you're going to see. Now a disciple is... The, 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 yes, I want us to stay on this image. Now look at what the true discipleship is. It's a process. So now we are not only called to grow, we are not called to be discipled, we are called to make disciples. This is a responsibility. This is an expectation of Jesus. How many of you have ever wondered and ever prayed, Jesus, just tell me what you want from me? You know, you know it's, it's one of the beautiful ways to, to be everything that your friend wants is to actually ask your friend what they want. What do you expect from me? How many of you have ever asked, you know, found yourself asking someone that you love, what do you expect from me? Because I just want to be that, I just want to make sure that I'm living it up, I'm meeting your expectations. How many of you have ever prayed, Jesus, what do you want from me? Why, why all that sacrifice? Why go on the cross? What's the purpose of all that? Now this is the true picture of a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus Someone who is following the cross and someone else is being led along. See, Apostle Paul said it better. He said, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're not only called to grow, we are called to bring others to Christianity, to bring others to the faith, to bring others to love Jesus just like we do. If I, if, I, if I want us to take an inventory right now and I say, um, in the past five years, if you have made someone a better Christian than when you met them, let me see your hands up. I don't know how many people's hands will go up. Maybe everybody. And if that is the case, beautiful. That's exactly what the Lord wants. When people meet you, they are supposed to be better Christians because you have been developed as a disciple and your responsibility is to disciple others. That was the only strategy of Jesus. Jesus didn't have any, any other strategy when he came. His strategy was to develop and pour himself on certain selected people so that they will also reproduce their likes and they will reproduce and they will reproduce. That is how Christianity found us. That's how we are, we, who we are today. So the ball must not stop on your desk. It must not stop at your point. You have to reproduce for the king. You are caught to grow. But the problem is you cannot give what you don't have. Let me, let, me, let me read the scripture in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. The great commission, which we are all familiar with. And let's see what um, the Lord said in that um, wonderful scripture. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a very clear instruction. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Now, now, remember something I want you to take away. He wasn't just talking to anybody. Jesus was talking to those he had discipled. So there is a first point. The first point is that we need to be discipled. We need to be, um, we need to be taken into the factory and perfected as a better product of the kingdom. There got to be a new modern you. And then Jesus is telling these disciples that he has spent three and a half years pouring on. He's telling them to go into all nations. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and disciple people. That is called the Great Commission. That's what we are called for. And if you are wondering what all the nation is, your na the all the nation to you might just be your workplace. It might be your community. It might be your home. You see, one of my biggest responsibilities as a father is to disciple my children. And God knows that I say, I pray it every day that Jesus, that's, this is number one. Once these ones can be discipled and they begin to disciple others, I think I will stand before the Lord and say, yes, I did something. Every one of us have an opportunity to be discipled and to disciple others for the kingdom. This is how the, God's, the Father's business is meant to move. This is how we are meant to dominate and take over the world when we do that. Amen. Amen. I want us to look at First um, Peter 2, verse 21, and, and let's just quickly look at that scripture. It's all about following Christ. It all starts there. He said, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. How many Jesus lookalikes do we have in the house today? Those that look like Jesus. If somebody wants to see and feel and understand Jesus, if they can point to you and see Christ through your life. That's our aim. That's our agenda as Christians. It's not just to come to church, guys. Come to church is so good. It's part of it. It's the process. Pray the Lord will give us understanding in Jesus' name. You see, I, I always tell people, um, I always tell a lot of our believers that, you see, church actually starts after service on Sunday. So when people say, uh, after Sunday, you just close your Bible and wait for the next Sunday, uh, no, that's not what Jesus expects. Let me tell you the reason why we are in church. Let's go to Ephesians but chapter 4. We'll read 11 to 13. This is what the church is set up for. You see, now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He said, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. I'm teaching you now. All right? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The essence why we are here is to equip you so you can go out and do church. If somebody is going to walk out of here today and you, and you just tell yourself, oh my God, what am I be doing with my life? I, I, I better start building disciples for Christ because this is this is the heart of Jesus you are saved so that Jesus through you can save others when was the last time somebody was saved through you when was the last time somebody looked at your life and said you know what ever since I became your friend 
I just realized that I've been a better Christian. This is what the Lord is expecting from us. Let me share you some signs of a true disciple. If you are taking that note, number one, as a true disciple, you must bear fruit. Fruit bearing is the number one thing. Let's look at John 15 verse 8. The first thing as a true disciple is fruit bearing. John 15 verse 8 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. A disciple is somebody who bears fruit. One of the fruits, you see, when you bear fruit, bearing fruit literally means having a life that is productive. That something proceeds from your life that somebody can see and know that indeed you are a Christian. I want, you, I want us to use this as an evaluation for ourselves. I'm trying to evaluate myself here. Am I a disciple? Do I bear fruit? By the fruits which I know them, but can somebody look at me without any formal introduction, without, without me saying I'm a Christian? Can somebody look at me and say, this person acts like a Christian? I want you to take this down as a checklist. I want you to, after service today, evaluate your own life. Do I bear fruit? Or oh, I'm just like everybody else. Signs of true disciple. Obedience to the word. Obedience to the word. John 8, 31. Obedience to the word. I want you to take down your notes if you're writing. Obedience to the word. Say, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. When it's hard for you to do what Jesus says you should do, then there is a problem. See, a disciple is hungry to please the master. A disciple is putting down their ears and saying, what is Jesus saying? When CNN says this, when um, Fox says this, and everybody says this, a true disciple is saying, what did Jesus say? That's where I'm going. I belong to a counterculture. How many of us belong to a counterculture here? I don't belong to the world culture. I belong to Jesus' culture. That's what you need to understand. That's a true disciple. Now, a true disciple is a Jesus wannabe. I have to put that that way so that um, you guys can understand. I'm sure how many of us know what it means when they say somebody is a wannabe? I'm a wannabe for Jesus. I just want to do like Jesus. I just want to, I want to think like him. I want to feel like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. How many Jesus want to be? Proudly so. Hallelujah. Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 2. I want to quickly show you something on that scripture. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. There are certain traits in my children that I've seen that they got, I mean, probably they've seen that, you know, doing it or something. And so they're they kind of imitating that. Or unconsciously, they're just acting like that. I see it. Say, so live a life filled with love. That's one of the ways we, we become a Jesus wannabe. I want to love like Jesus. How many, how many of us want to be like Jesus in loving other people? He said, following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It's a sign of a true disciple. A true disciple is a Jesus imitator. It's a Jesus wannabe. 
So discipleship, uh, discipleship is a project, personal project as children of God that we must put our minds to. We need to begin to see ourselves as the reproductive, you know, strategy of Jesus to duplicate or to reproduce other believers. So in my lifetime, I want so many Christians to be developed through my life. Remember the diagram that I showed you? Why I'm busy following Jesus? I want somebody else to be imitating me as I'm imitating Christ. Just like Apostle Paul said. Some of us are walking alone and there's nobody behind us. That's not what the Bible, that's not what God wants or expects of you. I pray that we'll please him in Jesus' name. And one of the reasons why you see a lot of people don't go get discipled, a lot of people come to church. I, I know a lot of people that have been going to church for over 10 years. As a matter of fact, they don't miss service on Sunday if they have to. Um, it must be, maybe they are sick or out of town or something. They just love to be in church on Sunday, but they are not growing. Their character, their life, their attitude, their perspectives and their paradigm remains the same. You see, one of the reasons why a lot of people will be talking, well, no matter how much we talk about discipleship, you know, the, one of the reasons why somebody will not come and say, Pastor, I, I have been a Christian for like five years. I, I really want to be discipled. Can you disciple me? One of the reasons why a lot of people will not do that is because a lot of people seek what I call the comfort zone. A lot of people really want to just be comfortable Christian. You know what? I don't want anybody to judge me. I just want to come to church on Sunday. I just, I just want to love on Jesus. You know, they use all the terms that is sweet and attractive. But they don't want to be discipled. They don't want to be subjected to have to obey every word that Jesus says. So they, they, they're just comfortable. You know, they're comfortable. And other people also, is because of lack of understanding. I want you to live here today understanding the purpose of your salvation. Why did Jesus save your life? Why are you saved? You are saved because you are, part of, you are part of a big project which has to do with saving other people. And so Jesus wants your life to be productive. He wants to save others through you. That's the big idea. So a lot of people lack understanding. That's the reason why they are not discipled. So if you have this understanding that Jesus expects to, to bring others to salvation through my life, I'm going to build a bridge that will connect other people to the same thing that I enjoy in Christ. I'm going to wake up and begin to make myself available to the Lord. Amen. And when you not consider the need to be discipled, let me share you some of the benefits real quick. I'm going to do this as fast as possible. If you are taking that note, number one, it prevents lukewarm Christianity. When you are discipled, how many of us know a lukewarm Christian? Don't look at your neighbor now. You know, somebody who is neither cold, nor hot. It's just, they're just there. They, just, they go to church, but their opinion is nothing different. They are the first to tell you, you know, leave people and, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody does. You know, it's just their heart that matters. How many of us know somebody that speaks like that? Lukewarm. You know what we call them? We call them carnal Christians. They know all the world. They know everything that Jesus said, but their life is still the same. They still take the same position with people that have no idea about Jesus. 
You see, we are supposed, we are created, one of the things that we need to remember as Christians is that by default, we are designed to be different. So if you are, the, if you are a born-again Christian among your friends, and it's not noticeable, they can't tell that you are born again, then there is a problem. Which means you do, you think, you hurt, you do everything like that. No, it's not supposed to be so. Because there's got to be a difference in you. You found Jesus. Now, I'm not telling, I'm not saying you should begin to wear the Jesus face and just frown at everybody and judge everybody. That's not the idea. The idea is that the kind of choice, the kind of decisions you make, the kind of things you do will begin to reflect the fact that there is a different thinking in you. You see, what is acceptable to everybody is not acceptable to you because Jesus doesn't accept it. So it prevents lukewarm Christianity. Now people come to church every Sunday and go back and be who they've always been. They turn out to be the kind of Christians. They're lukewarm Christians. They're not, they're not hot. They're not cold. Another benefit of discipleship is that it preserves us against the influence of sin. You know, Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, I mean, let's put that scripture up so that you, I mean, we can read it together. Romans 12, 1 to 2. When you are discipled, it, pres it preserves us against the influence of sin. It preserves us against the influence of sin. We find ourselves, we, don't, we, we, we see that we are not in that place of conformity with the world. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body as a living sacrifice, only and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's go on. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I say that a Christian has to be different, that's what I'm talking about. You got to be different. You can't just be the same. Somebody who met you before you, be, you met Christ must notice that there's a difference between your, your, there was a, there's a difference between your pre-Christian and your, your current status. And see, a lot of time, let me tell you what happens with our pre-salvation time or pre-redemption and to what we are. It's not like during pre-redemption you were full of sin and now, in, now you, there's no sin anymore in your life. You are just pure and you're just doing everything. No, what actually happens is that before you met Christ, sin was your character. They call you sinner. You know what sinners do? They sin. So sin was a character in you. But now that you have found Jesus, it is heart of character. That's why when you find yourself, because you are a follower of Jesus, when you find yourself falling short and sinning, you, 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 it's, it fills you up with regrets. How many of us know when we have done something wrong and we try to pray, we can't even open our mouths to pray because we feel so guilty? That's because there's a new nature in you that does not accept sin. There's a change in character. Hallelujah. Benefits of discipleship. Number three, it's an obedience to the Great Commission. He said, go ye and make disciples of all nations. So if I have to go on Jesus' instruction and according to his agenda, I have to start by being discipled myself. I have to be able to think, to feel, and act like Jesus for me to be able to carry someone along on that path. And lastly, the benefit of discipleship it stimulates maturity in Christianity. Stimulates maturity. You see, that, that I, I, I tell you something. Um, when you truly become a Christian, 
when you truly know that you have been saved and redeemed by Christ, when you truly realize that you have begun to think and feel and act like Jesus, there is a kind of new attitude in your life that makes you feel, you know, there are certain things you shouldn't do. I mean, there were certain things that I did before I met Jesus that I'm not proud to even talk about, not to talk of doing it again. So it, it brings maturity in you. It leads you to spiritual growth. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. It leads you to spiritual growth. He says, my whole self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not, see, maturity comes when the life you live is no more yours. Jesus is living through you. So your attitude, your paradigm, your, your ways is just influenced by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the beauty. Hallelujah. Let's rise up and as we take this last scripture in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Let's rise up. Let's rise up. Let's rise up. We're bringing the service to a close. I just want us to have our minds together as we, as we read that scripture in, in 2 Corinthians verse 3, um, chapter 3 verse 18. Hallelujah. It says, so all of us who have had that vein removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more. Now listen. It makes us more and more like Him. We are changed into His glorious image. So this is not just I telling you that you are meant to reflect the image of God. That's the scripture. That's the gospel. That's who you are. If someone is looking for Jesus, Jesus wants to sit in heaven and say, you're looking for me? Go check him out. Check her out. Because you love like Jesus. You're kind like Jesus. You forgive like Jesus. You show mercy like Jesus. You think about others more than you think about yourself like Jesus, who gave himself away. This is what the gospel is about, friends. So when we are bringing our series to a close and we say you are saved on purpose, this is the purpose of your salvation. This is why you are saved. You are saved because Jesus wants to, through your life, save others. Hallelujah. You see, one of Jesus' major agenda, and I want you to go home thinking about this, Jesus wants to shape the way you do everything. He wants to influence everything. Just like that scripture. Jesus wants to influence how you think. He wants to mold, he wants to, he wants to mold and shape on how you see things. We see things very different from a non-believer. And it's not an accident. It's because of the spirit of God that is inside of us. I want the media to put that image of discipleship up again as I bring this to a close now the subject of discipleship is not relevant to anybody who has not found Jesus just want to remind you that the first thing is that someone has to be following Jesus and that person is you 
when I follow Jesus, I'm able to take someone along with me. And so if you have not found Jesus, the process starts with you. So I just want you to know that the process starts from that point. So I want to give you an opportunity if this is your first experience. If you've not, if you've not found Jesus, you've been coming to church all your life. It's okay. A lot of, a lot of us, I, I went to church for many years before I finally stepped out and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Now in your own case, I'm not going to tell you to step out because I, know, I knew how it was. I was freaking out when I was asked to come out. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't go out. But wherever you are, I want you to open your heart to Jesus and just say this prayer with me. Precious Lord, I really want to follow you because I know that it's for the purpose that you saved me. It's for, me, it's for a purpose that you delivered me from, from, from every issues of life, from every temptation and every influence of the enemy. I am choosing to follow you now so I want to use my heart to you so that you will begin to use me the way you find faith. Accept me Lord and have mercy on me. In Jesus most precious name I pray.